almost any career that you could choose, you could do in the agricultural industry. It's super, super diverse. I remember even when I was working uh, at very small companies in my in my early career, I remember we had to talk about uh, how do we keep the people safe? So a safety, doctor, the doctor stuff, <laughs> nurse stuff. But it was also like, okay, how do we make sure that water gets to the plant? So you talk about electricity, automation, uh, irrigation, plumbing, and all, all that stuff. But then there's also, of course, the finance aspect of the business. So it's super, super diverse. It's not only knowing how to grow and develop plants, but it's like a, pretty much every career can, <laughs> can have a place in the agricultural industry. Welcome to Wise and Wine, a play on the phrase, rise and shine. Now look here, folks. I've had five jobs in the last two years, and that shit just ain't normal. Or is it? No, no, it's not. So I'm turning to diverse people who inspire me both professionally and personally with careers that didn't exactly start at point A and end at point B. We'll explore how their families, their cultures, and their communities impacted their career decisions, as well as the exact moment they decided to pursue their passions, even if that passion wasn't a direct path to a pension or 401k. Hopefully, I'll come away knowing how they became the badass, the confident, the strategic people that I admire. And if I don't come out of this project a little wiser, well, at least I'll enjoy the boozy wine ride. Today is Scuba Steve and I's travel anniversary. We, as of today, have been traveling for one year. And to say that we've learned a lot is an understatement. I think we were ready to meet people. We were ready to meet new cultures. We were ready to meet new places and spaces and things. One thing I don't think we were ready to meet was ourselves. Um, who we are when we're stripped of all of the obligations that we had back in the States in terms of time and where we needed to be and what we thought we needed to be doing. With all of that stripped away, I think we found a new version of ourselves and we got to finally meet you know, the core of ourselves, which is awesome. Along the way, we've gotten to meet people who are kind of doing the same thing and are kind of in the same space of, of exploration and wanting to be changed by the world and all of that. And a good chunk of the people that we've run into so far are relatively young, or at least they're in, we're in a weird age gap. You know, we're meeting people who are doing this in their gap year or they're fresh out of, uh, high school in between college or they're fresh out of college before their real job or they're retired. And this is their second breath, their second lease of life. And so we're in that weird place where, you know, we're too young to party hardy, but we're way too old to be going to bed at five o'clock at night. And so when you find people that are like you, you kind of gravitate to that. And so Ty's peak stock, which is nice with a T, as he explained to me, Tice was one of the people that we met in Costa Rica and had an amazing story 
that was a little bit masked by his shockingly good looks. And I can say that because Scuba Steve doesn't listen to my podcast. But, you know, when you first meet Tice, he's he was there in Costa Rica on sabbatical. His friend had just bought a dive shop. So he was just kind of milling about the world on sabbatical, hanging out with his friend's dive shop, getting his dive master training for funsies. Like he didn't really want to do anything with it. He wasn't trying to be a dive professional, but just something that he did because he could. And um, he's also really, really good looking, which was hard to get past at first because you see this guy who's really handsome with very straight teeth and he has a really great sense of humor and he's fun and he's light and he doesn't take anything too seriously. And so I kind of wrote him off as as a playboy at first. I was like, "Uh, he's just trying to hook up with girls. So I didn't really take him seriously. And then one night we just kind of sat down and started talking and he was talking about his career and how he has a bachelor's degree in business management and economics and a master's degree in biotechnologies because he was interested in it and decided to do it. And then he has an MBA. And I was like, holy shit, like you're, you're a dude of substance. And so that's when I took the little playboy hat that I had put on him. Um, I took it off and I really got to know him. And he is one of the most well-rounded salt of the earth, grounded people I've ever met. And he's very passionate about food and sustainability and conservation and feeding the world. And it's something that, you know, for him to tell it, it, it's been something that's been a part of his life when he was a kid, you know, growing up in the Netherlands, they have an amazing approach to food and the growth of food and the cultivation of food. And so he'll tell you in his stories that even starting at age 14, that this was something that he knew that he would do and he was passionate about and has been able to do it for a big chunk of his career. He's taken a sabbatical now to travel the world, but his job afforded him the opportunity to travel to over 40 countries and to really interact with people on a global basis and see how we're all interconnected through food. And so that's a that was an amazing story. And um, I have to say, I'm, I'm impressed by Tice every time I talk to him, because um, he came to stay with us for a little bit when we were when he was traveling through Colombia. And of course, because every country except for the United States speaks multiple languages, he's fluent in Spanish. And I was having some issues with my knee and had to go to a doctor. And he said, you know, do you want me to go with you? to help you, you know, navigate the doctor. And I was like, you know, I I can do it. I'll just do the app. He's like, no, no, I got you. And it made things a a million times easier to have him there and have him talk to the doctor and, and of course, flirt with the nurse because he's a flirt too. Um, But he's just a really fun person to have around. And it's just, you know, as, as we're traveling through this world, you connect to people in ways that you don't expect to connect. And so I'm happy to say that we do have a lifelong friend who is Dutch. So I've learned tons about Dutch people and he, he talks a little bit about them as well. So without further ado, I present to you my friend, Tice Peekstock. Good morning, Tice. Welcome to Wise and Wine. What are you drinking? Good morning, Jen, from uh, La Paz in Bolivia. It is still uh, very early here. It's about 10 a.m., so 
I just poured myself a gigantic cup of coffee. Well, that well, this is the real test. So you were in Colombia not that long ago. So who has the better coffee, Colombia or Bolivia? Oof, that's a tricky question. <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody, but uh, I think in general, in, in Colombia, everywhere I went, they had fantastic coffee. Even on the street, the street vendors, you would ask a coffee and it was just delicious. Okay. I haven't found that yet in uh, in Peru, although I have to say in Peru, I'm now in Bolivia. <laughs> I do have to say that in Bolivia, they know how to make very good tea. Oh, okay. How do you mess up tea? Isn't it just hot water and, and leaves? Well, I, I drank some shitty tea as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, then who has the best country in the world so far in all of your travels? The best coffee in the world? Yeah, so far, in your opinion. Uh, I probably have to say Ethiopia. They make a whole ceremony about it and they... They truly see it as an experience to drink coffee together. So I don't know if the taste was like superb. It probably was, but I really enjoyed the the experience that they they bring around the coffee. Okay. Do you know, or if you had to sit down and track, could you track all the countries you've been to, you visited? No. <laughs> There's too many. <laughs> Yeah, I was super fortunate to be able to travel a lot, both for, for vacation, but also for work. And I, uh, the other day, well, a couple of weeks ago, I did a, a quick count. And I think I'm around 40 at the moment. Wow. Wow. wow, That's amazing. All right. Well, I am new to traveling and new to learning about the world. And, and I have to admit that I knew very little about the Netherlands until we went to Costa Rica and met more Dutch people than I ever have in my entire life. So before we learn about your career, let's educate the people that are listening and myself about your home country. So what are like five things you want people unfamiliar with the Netherlands to know about it? Yeah, I, I, I think my experience in Costa Rica with you uh, and, and your significant other, Scott, Jam uh, <laughs> was fantastic. And I felt a great connection and very interested in how you look at the world and, and the questions you ask. That's why I'm grateful you you took me on this podcast today. It's my first podcast ever. Yay, but not your last, I'm sure. And I think Colombia, when I went to visit you, it was, was the same feeling, great connection. And just your interest in people in general is something that I, I very much share. Um, so so my, the question about the Netherlands is, um, is an interesting one. I have to be honest, I have to Google it. So... <laughs> Yeah, there is two that I came up with myself, but okay. um, what, one interesting thing about the Netherlands is when uh, when we became independent from Spain, the color orange was selected as like the national color, and it's actually still the national um, color of the royal family, or the color of the royal family. And one of the reasons why carrots are orange is because plant breeders at that time developed superior varieties of carrots that were orange, that were at that time also connected to the Netherlands. So now if you eat an orange carrot, you know the background why carrots are orange. And that's also in line with my career, right? Which I spent all my life in, uh, or my whole career I spent in plant breeding, developing better varieties. I think another cool fact about the Netherlands that, um, that I knew but I had to uh, re-Google it, so to say, was that the <laughs> that uh, gay marriage um, 
Well, the Netherlands was the first country in the world to legalize uh, same-sex marriage, I should say, oh, same-sex Okay. I, I think another thing uh, about the Netherlands is that uh, it's general very tall people with yes. very small hearts. I think in general, Dutch people can come off as a little bit cold, uh, but that's really just the outside. Once you get into the circle or into a French groups or you make a Dutch friend, you will see that that we are really lovely and, and very tolerant and actually very warm. Yes. Um, and then two facts that relate also to my uh, career is uh, the Netherlands is the biggest flower exporter in the world. No. Um, and then also the Netherlands is one of the most efficient agricultural producers in the world. So the Netherlands is very successful in developing cutting edge technology. It's still at the forefront in a lot of agricultural um, departments in, in production of quality and quantity. Um, so that's both for vegetables, for flowers, for meat, uh, dairy products. Um, an example I can give you, Jen, is um, in the Netherlands, on average, to produce one pound of tomatoes, we need about half a gallon on average, right? So one pound of tomato, half a gallon. Okay. While the average for the world is 28 gallons of water for a pound of tomato. Wow. So that's, that's I think, pretty cool. Yeah. And I, I appreciate your conversion from the metric system. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah. that I can understand. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So thank you for that. And I love that you did research <laughs> to answer that question, too. Um, I, we definitely will get back to your career and growing because clearly you have a passion about it but i'm very curious as as somebody that's learning about the dutch culture like tell me about your career path like how has what you've done in a career been influenced by your family and your culture and part of the reason i ask is because i'm curious if it's similar to the united states where you know in the states our parents are real very much focused on find a career that's going to make you the most money where it's going to be a lot about your status and it's going to be stable and then you're going to be able to retire and you know have a, a ton of money so i'm curious if that's just in the states or if that culturally is something that you experienced growing up in the netherlands as well i actually read a great book about that from uh, i think the name is gerrit jan hofman and he like does a very detailed study of like how different cultures operate and what the different thinking patterns are and different modes of uh, operation of the brain of the thinking and making decisions. And it was, there was a very eye-opening book where I think the Netherlands and the U S were not that different, okay. um, but I, I can definitely recommend that book, uh, uh, Jen, to to you to all of your listeners. Um, but to go back to your question, so I, I grew up in a in a pretty small town in the Netherlands, and I was surrounded by uh, by high tech greenhouses. Um, I have two brothers. I am uh, I'm the middle one. Um, and and I think one thing that influenced me a lot in life and in my career was, and I never got anything let's say for free from my parents. So mm -hmm. I, one of the very early memories I have is um, when I wanted to buy a moped, my parents said, well, if you want to buy a moped, you need money. So go <laughs> work for it. So 
that's when I started a weekend job in, in the greenhouse industry, picking tomatoes and, um, and also peppers, hot peppers, a variety of, uh, of vegetables. That's where I really developed a passion for plant growth and, and plant development. But I think what it also did, it was it really instilled a very healthy work attitude in me that, that I could see the value of money and that I had to actually do something and be dedicated and be serious to make sure that I, I could get in life what I wanted. But I think more importantly, I think what my parents did with that, they really uh, developed, they gave me a start to my financial literacy. Um, so I'm very thankful that they never gave me anything for free. Although probably if you would ask me at that time, I, I didn't agree. <laughs> and how old were you when you had your um, first job? I was probably, well, it was like more like handy jobs and small things. The neighbor of my parents at the time had his own um, company that was producing like packaging materials for flowers. Fantastic company. Um so I think I just started with a couple hours here and there when I was 14. It was not child labor. I really <laughs> like, okay, you pack, pack some of the flowers. And will... <laughs> it does sound like child labor now. <laughs> I mean, you weren't in a sweatshop sewing shoes. I mean, you were picking flowers. So you were still outside and, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it was fun because I did it together with some friends. So in the end, I also had a ton of fun, which I think is also a red thread through my career. I always tried to find things that I enjoyed, that I had fun in. And I think also um, during my early, during those early jobs, my, my father especially also emphasized, like do what you love, have fun. And my mom as well, because then you will never work a day in your life. And um, that's pretty much the advice that I followed throughout my career. Okay. So what did, do you, if you think back to when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, well, very early on, I wanted to be a veterinarian because um, one of the best friends of my dad was a veterinarian. And sometimes we would visit his clinic and uh, see the turtles and see the cats and dogs. And I really loved it. So I think that was my the first really job that I wanted. But this was when I was very young, right? And then I think when it came to selecting my my path of studies, I thought maybe medicine could be cool because I just thought helping people, keeping people healthy or making them healthy again sounded really, really great to me. But I remember when I started visiting universities that offered uh, medicine studies, I didn't really feel, feel like a passion there or it didn't really interest me that much. Mm -hmm. Then I remember when I visited one agricultural university, I didn't want to leave anymore. So that's how I chose my first um, path of studies, which was management and economics focused on the agricultural industry. And okay. I, I loved it. <laughs> so what what is that? What exactly does somebody in that career do? Well, it's... It can be super broad, right? The agricultural industry, you could think about pretty much everything that ends up on your plate comes from that industry. Yeah, I would say, I would say everything comes from that <laughs> industry. Um, and, and it's a fantastic industry because you think about it, almost any career um, that you could choose, you could do in the agricultural industry. 
it's super, super diverse. I remember even when I was working uh, at very small companies in my in my early career, I remember we had to talk about uh, how do we keep the people safe? So it was safety, doctor, the doctor stuff, <laughs> nurse stuff. But it was also like, okay, how do we make sure that water gets to the plant? So you talk about electricity, automation, uh, irrigation, plumbing, and all, all that stuff. But then there's also, of course, the finance aspect of the business. So it's super, super diverse. It's not only knowing how to grow and develop plants, but it's like a, pretty much every career can, <laughs> can have a place in the agricultural industry. So what, what in your, in the course of your career, so walk me from the first job that you had to where you are now and how you, and how you progressed through each position. What, so the first very job I had was what I told you, right? When I was super young and just helping my neighbor out a little bit in his uh, flower packing business. Um, but I think my first real job I got was with a hot pepper production company. At that time, it was the biggest hot pepper production company in the Netherlands. And they had multiple greenhouses and I just started off picking hot peppers. And then slowly as, as I progressed uh, in the company or as I spent more time in the company, I should say, the, the manager at that time was giving me more responsibilities. Um, and then at a certain stage, I think it was after about four or five years when he would go on vacation for a couple of weeks, I would actually be allowed to manage the greenhouse, which which was fantastic. Um, and I think there as well, I, I learned like how valuable people are. If you don't get along with the people, you have a horrible life. Yeah. Um, and I think that's also where I saw the happier the people are, the more productive they are. Uh, so that was definitely a great learning at that stage. I think when I just started, I was struggling a little bit with, like when I started managing people, I was struggling. I was more like a dictator at, in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But I quickly found out that's not the way to go about things. And I quickly changed my leadership behavior, so to say, to try and delegate more and to, to try and coach and really focus on the on the person as a whole and try to make people happy to get more productivity out of them. And I think at that stage as well, I learned what I told you before, like do only things that make you happy, that give you joy. I think that's also where I learned like, okay, I'm going to do the things I enjoy because then I will excel in them and I'll be good at them. And the things I enjoy less, I'll try to delegate. <laughs> I remember that when uh, managing the greenhouse during the boss's vacation, during the manager's vacation, owner's vacation, we had to do everything, right? So managing the climate, picking the produce, cleaning stuff, filling the fertilizer tanks. And I remember filling the fertilizer tanks was one of my least favorite jobs. So there was a guy there that uh, at that time only was picking the, the produce. So I started talking with him, what he enjoyed. And, uh, and then at a certain point, I thought like, oh, he might actually enjoy filling the fertilizer tanks. And to my amazement, he did enjoy it. And then after that, he started doing it every day and he had a blast. He really loved it. Well, I didn't really enjoy that part of the job, but he mm -hmm. felt he, he really enjoyed it. So right. it was a great experience. Um, then I worked for them a long time, even when I started doing my bachelor's studies. Um, but at a certain point, I had to 
had to stop um, because I wanted to pursue my master's degree. So during my master's degree, I still worked side jobs a little bit to make sure I had money. I didn't want to go into debt. Um, and then after my master's degree, uh, I was super fortunate to be hired by a climate control company. So a company that developed the automation and the climate computer, climate software to control these greenhouses. And that's where I was super fortunate to travel the world to help growers, to optimize their uh, operations, to produce more, to produce better quality. Um, and then at a certain point, uh, I got questions from other companies like, hey, can you visit us as well? Hey, we have this problem. Can you come over and help us? So it's when I started my own small consultancy company, still traveling the world a lot, helping out growers. Um, and then at a certain point, I came across a friend that said like, hey, there's a company that's looking for somebody that pretty much does what you are doing now. And at that point, I liked what I did, but I didn't like that I was always working alone. I was just a one-man mm -hmm. show, right? Just a consultant mm -hmm. coming in and then going out again. And then I went to, um, to visit the company, which is now Bayer. Fantastic company that I had a tremendous career path with. Um, and I immediately had a click with the people. The job sounded super cool. And then also just the entire company, what they did as a vision and as a mission and what I saw, what they were actually doing for farmers and the farmers community was really something that I, that I loved and I fit in perfectly. So I started my job in the Netherlands, still traveling a lot. In my first job, I had that for two years. And I visited over more than 30 countries, wow. helping growers. Um, and it was just experiencing different cultures. It was fantastic. And then after that, um, I was super fortunate to be able to move to the U.S. Uh, so I lived in California and in Hawaii. Um, and then after that, I was super fortunate to move back again to, to Europe to, uh, to have a position in Spain. Okay. Quite a career. I'm very curious. So like, what is for somebody who might be listening and is like, oh, this is an industry I never thought about. Like, what does a day in the life look like? Like, what, what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, it, it of course depends on the job that, that you select, right? So my first job was, it was very commercially oriented. So helping out farmers that had uh, bought our seeds or had bought our solutions. So there I would be traveling a lot, talking a lot with customers, making sure that the company would stand behind their promises and that we would over deliver on the promise that was made to, uh, to customers. The second job I had was in, uh, in product management. I did like the job, but if you would ask what was your least favorite job i would probably say that one <laughs> because at that time it involved a lot of excel work a lot sitting behind the computer alone and just crunching numbers and that is not a not something that fits my personality yeah. um after that i went into manufacturing in hawaii so that's why we actually produce uh produced the seeds that that are sold to the farmers um, and there you could see the job as really just a, a job in the life of a farmer. Um, so waking up pretty early, um, but also going home very early to enjoy the beach. That's, that's nice um, 
and then my uh, job in when I went back to California again, I was in R and D, which I also truly enjoyed a lot because I was working with super intelligent people that were thinking of ways to to do things better, to do things faster, um, to come up with these fantastic innovative uh, solutions. Um, and then my last job was again very commercially oriented. So my I was in a department which we call call market development in which we are like the bridge between the R&D and the commercial team. So we take these cool new products and we figure out, okay, um, how are we going to put it in the market? Um, which farmers can, can benefit from it? But a big piece of that was also educating the market. Like, okay, we have these new products. How, how should or could you use it to, to maximize the results? Okay. So what is it? Yeah, yeah. So what are the biggest um, kind of challenges that are happening in the industry as far as you know? Like I think about farmers and I think about maybe, you know, because um, Scott's family owned a dairy farm when he was a yeah. kid. And so the challenges that they have now, I would I would imagine it being technology. So like the things that the farmers used to do are now being replaced by machines. So is that an issue in the industry across the world or like what, what are some issues that are impacting the industry right now? If I only focus now on the Netherlands and then I'll, I'll talk a bit more how I see it more globally, but the Netherlands I think is really struggling at the moment with the very high en energy prices. Hmm. So the Netherlands is not a warm country. <laughs> that's, that's why I chose uh partially my career path to be in a warmer climates. <laughs> but I think that's that's definitely a very big struggle at the moment with such high gas prices, um, how to overcome that. And if you, if you think about gas prices, it's not only the gas that is used to heat the greenhouse, but the gas price also ties, for example, into the price of fertilizer. So fertilizer are much more expensive. Plastics are much more expensive. So I think that's for the short term, a very big uh, opportunity actually to to find ways to be more sustainable and to actually go into uh yeah, to do more um sustainable way of operation and not needing so much of fossil fuels anymore so i think it's both uh, a threat but i also see it as a big big opportunity and w there's a lot of farmers that have already adopted um, very innovative methods like for example using geothermal heat to heat the greenhouses or using co2 which is used to enhance plant growth as plants need water sunlight and co2 to produce sugars to use the co2 from other industries so for example if there's an industry that has co2 as a byproduct then let's pipe it to the greenhouse and then the farmers have a more sustainable alternative to co2 I think globally, the, that comment is also true, that things have just become more expensive in general for farmers. Mm -hmm. I think it also depends on where you are in the world. We, I see that um, extreme climates are becoming more and more of a problem. In some countries um, or some areas, the rainfall has significantly changed. Temperatures have significantly changed, which in certain areas of the world, farmers had to either completely stop cultivating and find new areas, or they had to change the crop that they grew because the crop that they normally grew would, for example, not be able to grow in higher temperatures. 
And I think one more piece that is most likely true for farming globally is, is labor, which is mm. more and more difficult to find um, as, well, I won't go into too much detail there, but I think younger people are not as, as motivated anymore to pick uh, hot peppers in the, <laughs> in the farm. Uh, but there are also, as you already mentioned, like mechanization is something that has really taken off the last couple of decades. But I think now what you can see, there are some tremendously cool companies that are coming up with solutions with robots. So the robotization wave, I expect in the next one, two, maybe three decades that we will see some, uh, some truly breakthrough innovations there that maybe even uh, tomatoes could be picked by a robot in the future. Mm. Okay. So does this change? And I guess if you grew up with it, so probably not, but does you being in this industry change the way you approach food? Like, are you somebody that like, Ooh, I only want fresh food. I'm not going to eat fast food or like, does it change how you approach life and travel and, and all of that that you do? Well, I have I have a very sensitive stomach, so so if I eat food or produce that's not uh, not clean or or not uh, well managed, um, my stomach will let me know pretty quickly. So I am pretty good to 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 steer away from produce or food that I don't trust. Then I just don't buy it and don't eat it. Um, I do not really have a have a preference for like organic or non-organic or I try to buy local. I think that's something mm. that I do support. Um, but, but I think what, um, what, what can be a misconception sometimes is like what, which brand or which way of production is better. And I, I used to have, um, or work together with, uh, with somebody that was my manager and he had a very cool expression. And he said like in, in agriculture, is like a big toolbox, right? A farmer has a toolbox that she or he can choose from which tool to deploy, right? The same as with a carpenter. And as there's not one way that is the best way to produce a chair or a table, there's also not one way or best way, in my mind, to produce a tomato. Of course, there's there are horrible ways, but I will talk about <laughs> that. But like modern sustainable practices that have, have many different forms and i think we need all the tools in the toolbox to make sure that we were able to feed the world <laughs> and make good healthy tasty produce um so yeah i think that's uh that's how i look at that did i answer your question you absolutely did yes yes <laughs> yeah and I think about the pandemic and how, you know, you were talking about things being more expensive. And if this country does this well, they can work with that country that needs that. Did the pandemic, when things were shut down and we couldn't do a lot of things, did that impact the industry or were you not working in the industry at that time? Yeah, actually, I wasn't working in California at that time. And um so, so I was part of the team that was doing, uh, that supported all the R&D projects. So we pretty much managed the growth chambers where the plants would grow or the greenhouses. We also managed quite a large open field footprint. Um, and we also were 
supporting the manufacturing organization that was on on our site at that time. So really the where the seeds would be produced that farmers would sow the next year. So when the pandemic uh, started in the US, like California is really the second big state to be hit and put in a lot of restrictions. And we were super, super worried. Like, are we gonna be able to produce the seed that farmers need to put in the ground next year so that people will have food next year? And I think, um, yeah, the team I was a part of was super, super successful. We didn't drop any product, project or product. We produced everything that was needed for the market to be able for farmers to produce. Because you could imagine if, if, if the seed industry would not have been able to produce the seeds, there would be no food the next year. Um, so that was my personal experience, which was a tough, tough year, but also very rewarding in the end. Um, to keep everybody safe, that was really number one, but then also to ensure that uh, that farmers were able to get the seed that they needed. But uh, I think on your question of like globally, I think that's where we saw, right, how interconnected the world is and also the agricultural industry, how interconnected it is, um, that we did see some disruptions in the, in the produce industry. Um, People in the U.S. might remember empty shelves with of meat. Yes. Weeks that there were no, no tomatoes. Um, yep. So yeah, I think that's it was definitely a, a big negative from the agricultural perspective. Um, but there also with people not being able to travel as much, um, also had a big impact. So, <clears throat> for example, the. The farm or the station where I was working, uh, Jen. Ooh. The altitude is killing me. <laughs> Out of breath. <laughs> I know. Scott and I were talking about that yesterday. We were like, oh, no, we need to prepare for altitude because we are not ready to do anything. We were in Bogota and dying. We're like, oh, no, we need to, we need to start working on our cardio. <laughs> Yeah, we did have three week, three weeks at altitude, and I can tell you, it still sometimes hit me. Just walking there, plugging in my laptop, <laughs> almost out of breath. But the example I want to also give uh, the station that I was uh, working at, we relied a lot on uh, on tremendous people that uh, came from Mexico every year to us to help during the peak season. Right, really during summer, there's a lot going on on the farm and in the greenhouses, so you need more people than during winter. And we had people that that were working with us for 20, 30, some even 40 years. And what they would do during summer, they would spend their time with us, um, help us with the, with the production. And then during winter, they would go back to Mexico and enjoy the beach in Mexico. Um, but when the pandemic hit, the travel became much more difficult between Mexico and the US. So that's also where we had quite a, quite a challenge to manage and you but you managed it we did manage it yep, yep. okay 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 um so yeah i think thinking about the next generation of kids growing up and people who are now maybe going into college thinking about their careers um i think sustainability is something that this generation is concerned about so i think knowing where their food comes from and worried about climate change and so i think there's a, a shift that maybe there wasn't 
in the last generation of kids. So if somebody wanted to break into the industry, what's the best way to begin? Well, yeah, so it's two pieces there, right? So I think the, uh, the agriculture industry is maybe a bit, the image might not be as good with the younger generation where it's like, oh, you get dirty hands, you get dirty shoes, which maybe some days is still true, <laughs> but you can avoid it, right? There's a very big variety of jobs um, that are offered in the industry. I think I'm also grateful that I in the end ended up in this industry because if you think about the career opportunities, they are phenomenal because there's not a huge pool of talent that goes into the agriculture industry. And there are some very nice uh, companies or a lot of beautiful companies that, that offer tremendous uh, opportunities to both develop your career, but also from a benefits perspective is uh, fantastic. Um, I think there as well, what I said before, just do what you enjoy follow your passion and then the rest will follow and you will have a great career. I think to sustainability, that's also something that I'm very passionate about. I was involved in many different sustainability projects just because I, I love that kind of stuff. I was part of the team that got the first farm worldwide zero waste certified. So that was one of our biggest farms in Hawaii, which nice. I'm still very proud of. I was also part of a project there in which we reduced our water usage even more <clears throat> so we reduce our water usage by 25 percent which was phenomenal um and then in california i was involved also in a very cool project in which we took the station which used a tremendous amount of electricity with all the growth chambers all the lights in the greenhouses all the offices and we uh, actually uh, got the first hybrid how do you call it, hybrid power purchase agreement signed, uh, which meant that we bought, we built a huge solar array to capture the solar energy and convert it into electricity, together with a big uh, battery bank, which brought the station almost to 100% um, sustainable energy mm -hmm. uh, usage. Okay. So yeah, sustainability is also a big piece that I could talk hours and hours about. <laughs> So you have degrees in management and economics, you have a master's in biotechnology, as well as your MBA. So, but talking to you, you have skills in like engineering and, you know, planting and all kinds of things. So is there one degree that you felt really helped you more than another? I mean, I, I imagine your MBA helped you once you got into the management side, but is is a how did management and economics <laughs> help you in this very bioscience based field? Yeah, so so early on in my like I said, right, but really I developed a passion for like how plants grow and develop, and I really I love that stuff. I still do, but I think also very early on, I was very fortunate to to be like in leadership positions. And, and I think that's where I really discovered my true passion. It's like helping people, uh, developing people, developing teams. Um, and that's really where I get a big boost of energy from to see people succeed or to see teams succeed. And some of the happiest moments in my career were when somebody in my team would like move on to a, to a better position that might, um, that gives them more enjoyment or that, positions them in a 
position with more responsibility or just a position that is a much better fit for more enjoyment for them. Those were really the those are the highlights of my career to really help people grow and then seeing them make the next jump within their career. Um, also, I was very fortunate to do a lot of um, uh, tests like uh, Strength Finder or um, Disc or Myers Briggs, and especially Strength Finder. I remember I did that pretty early on in my career. It's very eye opening to me. So my number one strength is Woo. W-O-O, which means that I enjoy connecting with people, um, discovering new people, helping people to connect with each other or me connecting with them. So I, I also see that in myself that I'm very, I'm very curious about people, what makes them tick. Um, so, so that's one of the things that drove me through my career. Um, but then also I'm very curious and I love learning. I just love to do new things, uh, discover new things. And I think that's also why I did quite some studies. Um, really my biotech masters that I did was purely out of interest. Um, I thought it was a very cool subject. I wanted to learn more about it. When I visited the university, I also felt like the atmosphere was great, great people. So that's why I pursued that one. Uh, my MBA, pretty much the same story. At that time I was already in a leadership position. Um, but felt like I lacked some of the theory behind finance, administration, but then also just uh, leading people in general. So that's why I pursued my uh, MBA, which, uh, which was also a great time and learned a ton. And then most recently, I actually did a dive master, which pretty much was the given in by the same thing. Like I love diving. I, I like doing it. A friend of mine just had recently bought a dive center. So I thought like, yeah, let's just do a, a dive master. And I enjoyed it a lot. Learned a ton. So yeah. Does it answer your question, Jen? It does. It does. And so I've got a couple more for you. Um, <laughs> so in your experience, education, um, again, I think culturally it's different from country to country. And I think you've gotten experience in a couple different countries in school. So in your experience, how does education and also your career, how does it differ in different countries? Like I think in the US, I imagine it's work, 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 work until the job is done versus some other places where they're like, eh, you know, I think about Spain and some of the Latin American countries where they're like, eh, we got a siesta from 12 to two. So like, how was your experience of both education and career in different countries? Yeah, I had a fantastic time in Spain. Oh my gosh, I love the country, love the people. And I do have to say, I disagree with the general thought that people have that, that they leave things for mañana or I never really experienced that. Everybody I worked with was super dedicated, um, got the stuff done on time and were not afraid to pull an all-nighter if, if things would not be done. Um, but I think, uh, so during, during the early stages of my career, when I was a consultant, I would visit other countries, would spend two or three, maybe four or five days on one company and be out. And that's where the interaction was always very fast. And I think at that time, I didn't get a true appreciation for the differences in culture, which I did get during my first job overseas, which was in uh, California. <clears throat> and that's where I saw that some of the things that were 
a cost, custom in uh, the Netherlands were not as a customs in the US. So definitely the first year in the US have struggling a bit with that. So the Dutch are very known to be very direct um, not do a lot of small talk um, and really just cut to the chase and let's just get this done and over with. Um, and definitely the first year when I tried to deploy that attitude, it was sometimes I rubbed people the wrong way. Um, and then I got a mentor assigned that would help me with my with the cultural differences. And he made a very impactful statement to me because at that time I was working in the glass house industry of the business. And he said, Thais, people in glass houses should not throw stones all the time. <laughs> and he was referring to my directness of always immediately exposing like, this is the problem, let's fix it. And that really helped me. And that still sometimes is in my mind, like when I have the desire to react quickly or to just say what's on my mind, to take a step back and say like, no, let's calm down, look at the situation, talk a little bit around the problem, see where people are coming from, and then slowly move towards the the situation right um i think another thing that was an eye-opener for me when i went to a, a more international environment like during my university studies i was in a much more international environment and also the, the other jobs i had was in in the netherlands it's it's very common to be that open in transparent in communication so for me it was for example very normal to disagree with my dad in public and just have a discussion or even with my granddad it would be very normal in the netherlands to say like no granddad i disagree with you there i think you're wrong and even at university for most dutch people it's normal to do that with professors as well to say like well professor i think you're wrong let's discuss this and that's when i really saw that people that came from different cultural background it was like not done so, so even sometimes people told me afterwards like my gosh ties you cannot say that to the professor. Like, why not? I think he didn't have a good point. I wanted to discuss it with it. So that was very, very interesting. Yes, for sure. And I think one of the, the biggest things for me in terms of education uh, in the States is I really wish we spoke other languages. I'm so jealous of everybody that I get to meet around the world that speaks multiple languages. How many languages do you speak? Well, fluently, I would say three. And then there's another two that I can say what I want, but far from fluent. Okay. What are the languages that you speak fluently? Well, my primary languages are uh, English. Well, Dutch, of course, <laughs> my mother's language. <laughs> Dutch, English, and Spanish. Okay. And the other two that you're working on? So in German, I can say what I want but it's it's super uh, blocky and then i would say italian i can understand most of what they say and it will take me quite some time to get a point across as i really need to search for the the words in my head and i'll mix in some spanish words as well but yeah i can also pretty well communicate with people yes and I do have to thank you publicly because when you were uh, visiting us here in Colombia and I had to go to the doctor and I could not communicate with my doctor and you so generously said, hey, I'll go with you to your appointment and made that conversation a lot easier. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, and thank you for the sushi <laughs> afterwards. That was fantastic sushi. <laughs> we had it delivered the other day. I was working and I it was like two o'clock and I hadn't eaten anything yet. 
And I called the sushi guy. I was like, do you deliver? He said, yeah. And so we had a late lunch delivered and I expected it to be like Rappi or one of those delivery services. He walked over <laughs> to our place with his daughter and delivered nice. it himself. I was like, oh, oh you guys, you're the nicest man in the whole world. I love him. Yeah, Colombia is fantastic. Uh, so you, sir, you were on sabbatical from work and traveling the world. So how has your new life changed you? And are there parts of your old life that you miss? Yeah, I definitely miss Bayer and the people, especially the people at Bayer. Um, but then also feeling like I'm doing something useful for people and for the world. So I'd say that if it would be one thing I need to choose, it would be really the people at Bayer that I, I worked with. And yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to maybe give a little bit of flavor why I went on a sabbatical. So I was super happy at my job. Um, but I think looking back at that time, Jen, um, I went through a, through a divorce. And I think I realized I do not really have my priorities in my life very well balanced. I could mm -hmm. say like I had my work and, and my family. And I think I didn't have a lot going on around it. So I think I started to rethink like, what do I want out of life? I'm still relatively young. Um, so then also discussing that with my manager at that time, um, he actually offered me a sabbatical. I said like, oh, let's go on a sabbatical and just enjoy the experience new things. And I'm still super, super grateful for Bayer and for my manager and the HR support that I got there to, to give me this tremendous opportunity. Um, so I've been traveling now for almost half a year um, visited quite a lot of countries, so spent some time in Brazil with my brother, spent some time in Costa Rica with, with you and Scott, but also with a friend of mine that had bought a dive school there, so got my dive masters with him. And then the last uh, three months, I've really traveled all through Colombia and visited some uh, old study colleagues of mine that also are doing tremendous things in the world. I visited Peru and currently Bolivia, and tomorrow I'm flying to Argentina. Um, and it's been really good. Uh, I think the experience of meeting new people, getting new ideas, um, seeing what other people are doing is just super energizing to, to see all the cool stuff that people are doing. Um, I think what has been useful as well to spend a lot of time alone as well, just walking through new areas, uh, having conversations with myself in my mind. Um, and I think I discovered a lot of things of what I do not want to do i think it's important to know what you want to do but sometimes it's even more important what do you not want to do so Absolutely. i think it's been super grateful for this experience and uh, yeah it's been very very helpful okay and so if we were to look if you were to look 10 years into the future because like you said you were still young um what would you like to see in your future to be considered successful hmm um yeah i think looking back at the past years i think like i mentioned before right, i think my life might not have been completely in balance i think i was also very focused on um how high is my compensation and what job title do i have i think that was a big driver in my career um i think i'm starting to let it go now i think that 
that is definitely not a big driver for me now anymore. Otherwise, I would be somewhere working my ass off. <laughs> um, so I think my priorities has definitely changed. Um, I think in 10 years, I think I would be say that I did a good job when when I'm at a place where I'm where I'm happy and where I'm doing something that I enjoy and that I'm doing something that uh, positively impacts the lives of other people. A very good oh answer. Gosh, that sounds very corny, Jen. No, it doesn't. It, <laughs> it sounds like somebody who's taken half a year to, to read books and to drink coffee and to spend time with yourself and to spend time with other people. And this is what you've you've come up with. So no, it makes sense. It makes sense that once you get off of that treadmill of work and the treadmill of a career and you sit back and you look at everything, you're like, oh, that stuff may not be as important as I thought it was. Yep. What does your family think about all of this? Because you're the middle child. So they're like, eh, we got another one ahead behind <laughs> this one. We'll just let the middle one do whatever he's doing. <laughs> no, it was... Um... Yeah, so when I first told my parents that I was thinking of doing a sabbatical, and I think they were pretty shocked. My mom turned around pretty quickly. I was like, oh, yeah, cool, and just do it. You'll be so happy. And I think my dad was struggling a little bit more with it because they come from a different generation, right? It's about making sure you have stability, making sure you do that food is put on the table, right? Um. But they pretty quickly, both of them really supported and they they saw that this is what I wanted to do and this would make me super happy. So it was very, very supportive. I think what also helped was that my older brother had a tremendously successful career in the Marines. Um, and all of one day to the next, he pretty much quit his whole career to start a CrossFit gym. What? Which seven, eight years ago, CrossFit, CrossFit was still coming up, right? So that's also where my parents struggled a bit. Like, where's the money coming going to come from? Are you going to put food on the table? Um, but he made it super successful. It's very successful now. So I think my parents go through that experience might have accelerated their acceptance of uh, of my career change. Um, and then also my, my younger brother had uh, has had a very successful career, but also made a pretty radical move to move from a gigantic company to a much much smaller one so i think my parents have gone through had gone through enough when i knocked on the door and <laughs> explained my crazy plans that they they accepted it pretty quickly <laughs> they're like all right we just have these three wild zones we're just gonna make it work <laughs> yes <laughs> all right so you are well read and very knowledgeable so if somebody wanted to find out more about the industry or sustainability do you have books or anything that you could recommend for people that want to learn more about either what you do or the industry in general well i still every day educate myself on what's going on in the, in the industry and one of my favorite uh, resources ortidaily.com so it's expect exactly spelled the way that uh, that i say it I think that's a good um, good resource. Just go on there and see what's happening in the industry. You can select different kinds of industry. To me, two of the most interesting ones is the greenhouse industry, right? Glass or plastic greenhouses. I love that part and learning more about what is going on with automation and robotization. 
But then another cool industry that's coming up now is the vertical farming industry. I also educate myself quite a lot on that every day still to keep track on what's, what are new developments. And then just in general, I like to also follow what's happening in third world countries. So I keep track of uh, projects that, for example, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation do uh, or that Bayer does um, just to see like where where's the money of the behemoths in the industry going to do good for the world. And there's some really, really cool projects going on in third world countries that that impact millions and millions of lives, which I find very fascinating to read about. Um, I think one book that I really like is called um, The Tomato Doctor. Okay. Um, I don't know the author of it, but it used to be a veteran of the seed industry. And he goes into a lot of detail on specific business cases uh, in which companies impacted the world in a very positive way. But it also talks sometimes about the friction between companies um, and it's it's written in a very light way. You can read it. It's a very, very easy read. If you want, I can maybe later send you the name of the book and the author if people are interested. Yeah, now I'll Google it and add a link into the episode. Oh, no, it's not. It's called not a tomato doctor. It's called a tomato wizard. <laughs> it's a very different book. <laughs> yeah, tomato wizard. <laughs> I will look it up and add it to the note. Well, Tice, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure getting to talk to you again. I'm sure, I hope we'll see each other again in the future. Our, our paths will cross again. I know for sure, uh, Jen. I'm grateful that you came in my path and that we were able to share some tremendous experiences together. And thank you very much for this opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Of course. All right. Have a great day. You too. Ciao. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode of the Wise and Wine podcast. Don't forget, episodes come out every Tuesday wherever you find podcasts. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. You can also find information about my guests on my Instagram page at Wise and Wine Podcast or send me an email if you have any questions, comments, or concerns at wiseandwine at gmail.com. So I hope that our time today helps you pass the time on your commute, pass the time on the treadmill, or pass the time while you're working on those TPS reports. And hopefully you left this day a little wiser. Have a great day. Bye-bye.